Good morning. I'll get this down by the second service. I've only done this 900 times, and it's hard to remember. Like, have I done it today, or was it, you know, the last 900 that I've done it? But now I've done it. Good morning. We are um, deep into this series on Ephesians titled Beyond, and I want to recap where we're at because there's some huge stuff that's happened in it. The entire first half of the book, the first three chapters, if I were to summarize it, it speaks to this stunning love of God for us. In fact, it says that God's, God loves us beyond what we could ever comprehend. And then it goes farther than that. It says that if we could ever really begin to get a grip on that, really begin to understand that, get our mind around that, and not just understand it, but if we would experience it, it says we would be made complete. And finally, our life would be complete with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. It's saying the one thing we need is to be loved perfectly by one who is perfect. And the first three chapters are spelling out, this is how much God loves you. And and it's it's non-respective of persons. It's just, this is how much God loves you. And if you and I would ever begin to get that, begin to understand that, begin to experience the love of God, we'd be utterly changed. We'd be made complete with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And then it goes on, and and the first half ends with this in chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Then God is able, by his mighty power at work within you, to do infinitely more than you might ask or think. He's able to do, by his work inside of you and me, infinitely more than we might ask or think. And as it turns out, because you you roll into the next verse that follows in chapter 4, it turns out he's speaking about transformation. He's saying, if you and I begin to be gripped by the love of God, and we've placed our faith in Christ, then God will do more work in us than we could ever even ask for in terms of transforming us. And so last week, Ron Acosta began to speak about this, and he began to talk about living a life worthy of our calling, and very appropriately, he talked about walking differently. And if one goes back to the the Greek, which this was originally written in, the word that is translated in a bunch of translations as live... It literally is, is walk. Right? Walk worthy of your calling. And Ron talked about walking differently. If you missed last week, you, you must hear or watch that. It was a profound experience to hear and to watch that, walking differently. And then we've talked about all along, and this is where I'll, I'll kind of end my summary, that faith is walking with Jesus where he leads. Faith is walking with Jesus where he leads. We've often talked around here about about biblical faith, the kind of faith that gives us God's forgiveness, relationship with God, heaven, is not just a faith that says, Jesus, I'll trust you to forgive me, but it also says, I'll trust you to lead me. In other words, biblical faith is saying, I surrender leadership to you. So another way of saying that is that faith is walking where Jesus leads. It's this relational walk with Jesus. It's walking where he leads. And so I want to I want to pray the prayer that the first half ends with for us and i've suggested and i may be off base i've suggested this may be the most important prayer ever prayed the greatest prayer ever prayed and so if you would bow i've tailored this for us but this was paul's prayer for those who would read this letter and i want to pray on behalf of all of us that that's what happens now so if you would bow with me father when we think of all that you've done we fall to our knees and pray to you the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. We pray that from your glorious, 
unlimited resources, you will empower us with inner strength through your spirit. Then Christ will make his home in our hearts as we trust in him. Our roots will grow down into your love and keep us strong. And may we have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep your love is. May we experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully, then we will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from you. Now all glory to you, the one who is able, through your mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to you in the church, in Christ Jesus, through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So that catches us up. So brings us to Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Let me read those two verses to you. It says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Here's the direction to a Christ follower. Here's the command. Imitate God, follow the example of Jesus. And in the context of Scripture, and I'll give you a couple of them, it's saying, become like Jesus. Literally become like him in how you think and feel and act and speak. Be transformed like him. In Romans 8, 29, it speaks to this. It said, for God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He knew his people in advance. In other words, what this means is that he knew in advance that of your own free will, you would trust Jesus if you have, if you do someday. He knew that in advance. With the intention, you become like his son, that we'd be made like Jesus. And then Jesus himself really nails the level of transformation intended. In Matthew 5, 48, he says, you're to be perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect. Here's the plan God's saying. When you begin to follow me, as you, as you imitate me, as you follow Christ himself, that you'll find yourself living a life beyond what you could ever comprehend. The intention of who we become is far beyond what we could ever dream or guess. To become like Jesus, who is the one, by the way, worldwide, almost any religion you look, you look at, look up to Jesus and say, if, it, if we just live like him, <laughs> I mean, even ones that think he was just a super, super, super man, we could just live like him. And this is what God intends. If you and I follow Jesus, he intends, he intends us literally to increasingly become like Jesus. This is, we're his dear children. Back in the very first chapter, verse 5, it says, it gave him great pleasure to adopt us when we trusted Jesus. We're his dear children. If, if you are a parent, or certainly you have or had parents, then, then you would probably think that you would hope that the best traits of a parent were passed on and the lesser traits weren't. But you would hope that the best traits were passed on. There would be some family resemblance to the best traits. Well, God is perfect. Jesus is perfect. If we're part of the family, then we would expect, we would anticipate, we begin to have this family resemblance to him. I have one sibling, one brother, and he literally walks like my dad walked. He physically walks like my dad. I, I watch, I see my brother walk, and I think of my dad. And then it goes far beyond that. I see his life. I see his character. I see how he lives. And, and I see the reflection of my dad and mom and him. There's this massive family resemblance in God saying, look, you're, if you trust Jesus, you're my kids. 
The whole intent is that you become like, like me and like Christ. That's the whole intent. But there are these two big problems. These two big problems. The first is this, is we don't instinctively know right from wrong. We don't instinctively know right from wrong. We, we get some big picture stuff. You can look at humanity, and most of humanity gets it that, well, murder's wrong. <laughs> that, that's pretty, murder's wrong. Stealing is wrong. We get some big picture stuff. But when you and I read scripture, there's some stuff in there that God says is wrong. I would have never dreamed. <laughs> Being like Jesus is so much more, so much different than you and I would ever instinctively anticipate. Back in the book of Judges, there was a long era, many generations, where the people of Israel lived horribly. It's a horrible time. And it was summed up in Judges chapter 17, verse 6. In this, it says, all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. It doesn't say that the people intentionally did wrong. They just did what seemed right in their own eyes. It's just what we instinctively think is right. We are so far off the base. First problem is we don't instinctively know right from wrong. Marie and I have a, a granddaughter who just turned two, and she has to be taught everything. She wasn't hardwired with the English language. And so now she's just past her second birthday, and she's repeating everything her parents say. And she's like this little uh, echo that comes from them. She's learning. She has to be taught that. She wasn't hardwired with that. When I went into the oil business, I wasn't hardwired to know the oil business. I went off to school to study it. I had almost never been around, around anything in the oil business, almost no contact at all. Went through my first year, a bunch of basics, like a one-hour course in petroleum engineering. I took a job with a major oil company for the summer. And when I took the job, like the big boss said, hey, you need to ask a bunch of questions because it will show you're interested. And so ask questions. And so we're going through the day, and I am so clueless. I don't even know what to ask. And there's what really makes it even worse. I'm an Aggie. And there's this other guy that finished his freshman year from Texas, and he's asking all kinds of questions. Now, I'm thinking, buddy, you got to ask something. We get into the afternoon, and finally, finally, I look over, and there are these pipes sticking up out of the ground. And I, I said, well, what's that over there? And, and the pumper, who was like 60 and looked down on students anyway, like put the brakes on hard and said, what did you say? I said, well, what's that over there? He said, son, that's an oil well. Uh, you've studied for a year. How much money have you spent? You don't even know what an oil well looks like yet. And then the summer went on, and, and this same guy dropped uh, the two of us off with this other guy that, that was 63, actually his brother, nicknamed Beans. I never asked why he was nicknamed Beans, but his nickname was Beans. Really a really nice guy, but dropped us off, and there was a bunch of oil in a pit, and our job was to take this pump that we, we dropped off, and hook it up and pump the oil from the pit into the oil tank. And so Beans, who'd been there almost 40 years, he, he was coaching us. And so we hook it up, and we're proud of ourselves, and we turn it on. Actually, we get it started, and we're proud of ourselves, and we're sitting back just soaking up the sun. And after maybe some, I don't know, some period of time, the pickup comes around with the younger brother, who's like 60. And he walks up, and all of a sudden, he goes crazy, and he races toward the pump, and he says, shut it off, shut it off, shut it off. And it's looking good to us. It turns out we hooked up the pump backwards. Instead of pumping oil from the pit into the tank, we were pumping all the oil out of the tank into the pit. Man, we had to be taught everything. We had to be, I, he almost, that was almost the end of the summer then. But the higher-ups said they had to keep us 
uh, whether we were doing damage or not, had to keep us in. We had to be taught everything. It's the same with, with us be, being molded in the image of Jesus. And we're not hardwired to understand very much of what that means. We have to be taught that. So the verses that follow, indeed the verses that Ron taught on last week, they're just teaching us. So we already read in, in verse 2, it says, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us, offered himself as a sacrifice. And so at the very core, it says, to be like him means to love, and to love means to sacrifice. And if I could boil it down, it, it means that love is giving, not getting. The very core, love is giving, not getting. And if I get to the end of a day, and I just put my day through the grid of how much and how and where did I give? Where did I give value to people versus how much did I get? There's nothing wrong with receiving love from others, but the measure is how much did I give? I mean, that, that's what it means to love and to love sacrificially. It's all about getting. It's, not, it's all about giving and not about getting. And then it begins to spell out some details. I'll read verses 3 and 4, which spells out three specific areas it touches on here. It says, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. So it just touches on three areas. There are so many more, but here it touches on three. And the first two words it talks about says, uh, let there be no sexual immorality or impurity. From the Greek, both of those are about sexuality. Both of those are about sexual purity. And, and so it's saying that, in fact, the literal says, let there not even be like a whiff of sexual uh, impurity around you. And Scripture teaches that the only expression of sexuality in God's plan is to be shared in marriage between a husband and wife. This is what Scripture teaches. It's what God says. He says, I made you. I wired you. I know how this works. This is the only sexual expression that I intend for you is in marriage between husband and wife. And then Jesus really spells out some stuff. In Matthew 5, 27, 28, if this is the first time you've heard this, you've got to soak this in. He says, you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He's taking it to this, this holistic level. He said, I mean, thoughts, minds, words, visuals, actions. He's speaking of this stunning sexual purity, this stunning sexual purity. And it says, let there not even be just a trace of sexual impurity among you. And then he goes on, and he talks about greed. Let there be no greed among you. And greed is to have selfish desire, this overwhelming want for more. I could look at my, my life and the struggle of coveting power and possessions and position and pleasure. You go on and on and on. Just, just the yearning for that. And if you think about it, greed is the opposite of love. Greed is about getting, isn't it? Not giving. It's the exact opposite of love. Love is giving, not getting. Greed is getting, not giving. It's the exact opposite of love. He says, not, let, don't let there be even a hint of it among you. And then he goes on, he talks about crude language, which may seem odd he would put this here. Why, why, does, why does that really matter? Crude language often devalues something of significance. If you think about the crude language that, that you might often hear or maybe you even use, it often devalues something of significance. I'll give you an example of it. 
if, if you or I casually throw around the term hell, we're talking about a reality for every person who never placed their faith in Jesus. And Jesus spoke the most about it. He described it most vividly. And it's an endless reality that is more horrid than words can explain. And to casually throw that word around I mean, just diminishes something that, that has uh, something of great significance in it. It would be as though, as though you and I hung out in the neighborhood where the recent school shootings were in Florida, and we casually threw around references to the shootings. If we just kind of attach some reference just to our, our conversation, we would never do that. I mean, how insensitive is something of great significance, horrible that happened? Or if we were in, in Dade County, Miami right now, where the bridge collapsed, we wouldn't walk down that street and, gradually, and just casually throw out some reference to the collapse of the bridge, would we? Why? In the insensitivity of that. And that's, that's why God is saying, if you really want to become like me and become like Jesus, then you'll rid yourself of all that. You, you'll rid yourself of all crude language because you represent me. You're, you represent Jesus. You're the living, visible representation of Jesus to the world. And he says, be holy as I'm holy. Be set apart. Sexual purity, greed, crude language. He says, let, let there be none of this among you. And then verses 5 and 6, he, he begins to explain how high the stakes are. He says, you can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall on those who disobey him. It's huge gravity, isn't there? Now, it's not to say that you or I would never commit those sins, or even from this day forward never commit them. But it does say, if you and I do, and we're a follower of Jesus, that we would feel deep conviction over it. When we feel conviction, we would be sorrowful for it and repentive of it, and we would yearn to leave that forever in the rearview mirror. That's what it means. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you find yourself just accepting something that doing something says not to do, and you've decided, I'm, I'm just good with this, you have to take a step back and say, where is this faith that I profess? If it's walking with Jesus where he leads, he's made clear where he's leading, and I don't even want to go there. I won't go there. There's, the stakes are sky high with hearing what God says about how we live and, and yearning to live that way. Now, I said there are two, two big problems. One, one is we instinctively don't know right from wrong. The second is this is we're not able to become like Jesus on our own. We're not able to become like him on our own. So, so how do we change? This is in the context of, of the entire book. There are a couple of things to remember. This is, this is foundational to how we're changed. Remember how much God loves you? The first three chapters are just driving home how much he loves you. Remember how much God loves you. And one way of remembering that is in this, Chapter 5, verses 4 and 20, it says, be, be thankful. And I pondered that. There's this connection, isn't there? If I spend time being thankful for all that God's given me and done for me, then I tend to remember, remember how much he loves me, don't I? 
So there's this key of being thankful, but, but remember how much God loves you. And secondly, remember that you, you live in Christ. We've talked throughout this series about how we all live in some physical, geographical environment. Maybe you live, as I do, in the Bay Area. And you and I are influenced by the, by the Bay Area, by the temperature and the weather and the construction, the culture, on and on and on. And, and what Paul is saying, he, he gives this term in the original Greek 36 times in this one little book. talks about you're in Christ, you live in Christ, you live in Christ. He is the, the most real environment in which you and I live if we're a Christ follower. He is the most profound environment. He's the strongest environment. He's the most lasting environment. And to, be, to live in him means to be so close to the access of his love and grace and wisdom and power and strength and perseverance and on and on and on. It's being deeply aware of that. As, as you're walking through the moment, being aware, I live in Christ. I mean, my, he is my surrounded environment it's very hard to be aware of that in sin it is really really hard to be deeply aware of that in sin remember that you live in christ i would say two things to remember then then know scripture we have to know scripture again we don't instinctively know this in ephesians 5 10 it says carefully determine what pleases the lord if you're a follower of Jesus, he says, don't just kind of wing it. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. And then in 17, he says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. We have to be taught. I would have never, never known this stuff about sexual purity if I wasn't taught it from God. I would have never known this stuff about greed. I would have gotten a little bit about greed. I would not have gotten the whole picture unless... God taught me. I would have not gotten this about, about a crude language unless God taught me. We have to know Scripture. We have to know Scripture. And finally, we have to walk under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And down in verse 18, it says, Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Interesting pairing there. Don't be drunk with wine. In other words, don't be under this, this influence of wine in your life. You're going to be influenced in how you think and act and everything. Don't be under that influence. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. And to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I'll give you an analogy. If you were filled with fear, wouldn't you say that fear was influencing you? Or if you were filled with joy, wouldn't you say joy is influencing you? And so to be filled with the Holy Spirit means you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So, so walk under the influence of the Holy Spirit, is saying. Not only does Jesus live, is he, do we live in him? We talked about he lives in us. Scripture says also that the Holy Spirit also lives in us. It says walk under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You all know what a DUI is, right? DUI. And it doesn't just mean getting caught. <laughs> it, just, it means driving under the influence. And you don't want to be DUI. You don't want to be driving under the influence. But you do want to be WI walking under the influence. You want to be deeply walking under the influence. Let me give you some picture of how this works. And you see, you see the, how it changes one's life. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it talks about how our life is changed when we give God carte blanche to change us. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Imitate God, follow Jesus. This is what our life becomes like. So I have this friend who I've known for quite a number of years, and he had a horrific battle with pornography for a long time. He deeply addicted to it and understood what God said and leaned into God and followed God's leading and God's leading to get a whole bunch of help. He worked really, really hard at, at fighting that, and, and he's overcome that. And, and he's a married man, and if he were up here today, he would tell you that the, any um, pleasure or gain he ever got from pornography is so far surpassed by the pleasure and joy of loving his wife well now he said, the way I can love her now is so rich and so deep, I would never go back. I, if I'd only known. I mean, this is, what, this is what sexual expression could really be if I'd only known. It, it says, imitate God, follow Jesus, love will grow in your life. I know another man I've known for a long time too, and he also had a long struggle with pornography, long battle, long fall battle, and he's won that battle, and he's single. He's single. He didn't have a wife to sexual expression. But if he were up here, he would tell you, he loves everyone better. Not being addicted to pornography, he loves everyone better. Women, girls, guy, anyone in his life, because he can give them focus and tension and love. He's not, he's not distorting what God intended. He, he, he's experiencing a deeper love because he's following Jesus. i give you another story. It, it's around the greed piece of it. Um, I was in the oil business for 15 years and had no concept of how many areas I had greed in. I would have told you I had no greed for money, but that wasn't true. Uh, a few years back, um, Marie and I were around the island in our kitchen. I mentioned this once a long time ago. We were on the island in our kitchen. We were just reminiscing about the years and everything, and, and I was thinking back, and I just kind of wistfully said, I said to her, I, I always thought I'd be rich. And instantly she said, I always thought you would be too. <laughs> and then we laughed and everything, but that was, I really thought, I always thought I'd be rich. But somewhere along the way, when I met Jesus and he began to talk with me about what matters and somewhere along began to talk about trusting him and somewhere money came into that picture, I was reading Psalm 17, 15 one day in the, in the Living Bible, the way it translates in the Living Bible. And this was David writing, and he said, but as for me, my contentment is not in wealth, but in seeing you and knowing all is well between us. But as for me, my contentment isn't in all the money and gold in the world. It's in seeing you and knowing all is well between us. And I read that that day, and I realized that's how I feel. I mean, somehow, he had changed me in that area. I mean, I thought it's, I, I do not get contentment around. It doesn't matter how much gold there is, which is a good thing these days. The contentment comes from knowing all is well. If I don't think all is well, there's not contentment there. And, and with that then came this flood of, of tithing, which is giving 10%, and then a flood of so much more than that. And what Marie and I found the very first time, the very first time we just said yes around money, the very first, literally the very first time we wrote a check and we gave 10% of what we had of our, of our income, we were blown away by joy. I unexpected. I, I honestly thought I would be going, oh, wow, that hurt. And, and I thought, 
I felt exuberant. And unbeknownst to me, Marie felt the same way. And somewhere we began to talk about how, how we felt. And, and it's what God says. If you imitate me, if you follow Jesus, then the fruit of that, you will have more joy in your life. It's what he said. And, and walking away, putting as much distance as I can from greed has added so much joy. I'll give you one more example. It's around the crude language one. And, and Dana Aronson, uh, one of our lead pastors, has given me permission to talk about this. Uh, Dana's been a pastor five, six years. He's been a follower of Jesus, 20 now. He grew up in a, an environment where crude language was just norm. It was just common, and so he adopted that. And so 20 years ago, he became a follower of Jesus, and somewhere pretty soon in that, he began to realize that Christ was saying, I want to change the way you talk. Actually, I wish that Dana had broadened his concept of that command, change the way you talk, and broadened it from not just crude language, but that horrible Bronx accent that he has to do. But he took it as God just said, get rid of the crude language. And if you know Dana as well as I do, he's been this guy that said to God, you got my whole life. I'll change anything and everything. Tell me. Help me. I'm all yours. And that has radically changed in his life for a long, long time now. And, and now he talks about he has his grandchildren. And now the model he's giving them versus the model he gave his children growing up about language and what language that's rich and meaningful and God-honoring versus that which isn't. And he says now he has so much more credibility, not only with Christ followers, but with non-Christ followers, because they see this integrity of his life. They see this consistency of his life. There's not this question of, now he follows Jesus. He's even a pastor. Why, why does he talk like that? Why isn't he different? There's this credibility that he has. And he says there's this peace that he has. There's this contentment. I, God, we're good on that. We're good on that. It's what God said. You imitate me, you follow Jesus. There'll be this growing peace in your life. So this chapter is all about, in fact, the second half of the book is all about this saying you can have a life if you follow Jesus, the intent is you and I would have a life beyond what we ever dreamed. A life where we become increasingly more than we ever imagined, more than we could ever ask or think, is what Scripture says. That's more like Jesus than we ever dreamed possible. It's beyond our wildest imagination. And, and it gets played out by, by walking with Jesus where he leads. Walking with Jesus where he leads. And that means walking differently, as Ron talked about last week. Where is God leading you to walk differently today? Where is God leading you to walk differently today? When you think about that, then I would remind you, this is how we live differently. This is how we walk differently. Remember how much he loves you. As you begin the journey of saying, help me reorient my walk, remember, be overwhelmed by how much he loves you. And a, a way to be reminded is thank him Thank him. That gives you reminders how much he loves you. Remember that you live, if you're a follower of Jesus, you live in Christ. He is the strongest reality of the strongest environment in which you live. It's much, much stronger than your geographical community. You live in Christ. Know scripture. Come to know scripture increasingly. And finally, walk under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That's how you and I change. We're, we're going to have a song now that's really so pertinent to everything I've said. Because walking differently always begins with repentance. It always begins with conviction. And maybe you've even felt conviction even in this, this hour. It begins with conviction and, and repentance saying, 
please forgive me? And I know you will because of Christ's death on the cross for me. Please forgive me. It begins there. And, and then following that is, I want to walk with you, Jesus, where you, lead, where you lead. And some of you are here, all that I've said, this is all about those that have trusted Jesus to lead and forgive. If you've never trusted, um, he would ask you to today. He'd say, take, take a step, take a leap. Ask me to forgive you, ask me to lead you, and I'll begin that today. Father in heaven, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for the wisdom and insights that you give through it. Thank you for meeting us here where we are today, Father. Um, I deeply believe you've spoken to each one of us. I deeply believe every one of us understands something you've said. I, th I think everyone here has sent some stirring around something. I pray your spirit would help us understand that and lean into that and trust you in what we've stirred. And maybe it's that first step of faith of saying, Jesus, please forgive me, lead me. And forgiveness comes, relationship with God comes, new life comes, heaven one day comes. Maybe for many of us, it's as, as Christ followers, maybe it's taking a serious look at, at a sin in our life and saying, I, I no longer want to live with that sin. And, and understanding how to begin to walk differently and being so grateful in the grace and power you bring into that and realizing we can't do it on our own. We can't just walk off and say, okay, now I'll fix it. But we do it relationally with Jesus. We do it by walking with Jesus where he leads. I thank you for that. May that be true of us today. In Jesus' name, amen.